Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm very pleased that you've decided to join us today for our guided loving kindness meditation. This is part of our group learning program where we meet right here on Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time. In this program, we're sharing the teachings of the Buddha to help you learn and practice his teachings and progress towards enlightenment. As part of his training, he suggests that we practice breathing, mindfulness meditation, and loving kindness meditation. These are two primary trainings that he prioritized above a lot of other things that he talked about in terms of his teachings. There's three primary problems that are in the unenlightened mind, and these two meditations address two of those three primary problems. The first problem that he talks about is craving, desire, attachment. This is how the mind has mental longing with a strong eagerness. It wants the objects of its affections. It's longing, it's yearning, it has this strong eagerness. And when it gets what it wants, the mind is happy, it's excited, it's elated. But that's only temporary because the unenlightened mind is basing its inner feelings on some impermanent condition. And once those conditions change, the unenlightened mind can't hold on to those things permanently. So it moves from those pleasant feelings over to painful feelings like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. And this is the painful feelings that the mind experiences because it was longing and yearning for pleasant feelings. It's basing its inner feelings on some impermanent conditions, some temporary conditions. And because the mind is doing this, it will never find its peacefulness or its contentedness or its calmness because it's always wanting something that it doesn't have. So instead of being satisfied with what is or being content and joyful inwardly, The unenlightened mind is longing externally. It's looking for something in the world to create these pleasant feelings. And it's latching on to some impermanent conditions. It wants a relationship or it wants more money or it wants a bigger house. It wants to travel here or travel there. It wants new clothes, new jewelry, new shoes. And the unenlightened mind is just craving and craving and craving, having these desires or these attachments, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And as long as it's doing this, the mind is going to experience discontentedness. It's going to be unsatisfied. It's going to experience these temporary pleasant feelings 
these temporary painful feelings and these temporary feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, like boredom or loneliness or shyness. The mind experiences all these discontent feelings and it isn't until we train the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation, with generosity and other aspects of the path to enlightenment that the mind can eliminate this unwholesome root or this unwholesome quality of the mind or this poison of craving. And as you train the mind actively to eliminate this craving desire attachment over time the mind gradually starts to become more peaceful calm serene and content with joy because it's no longer basing its inner feelings on some external condition the next aspect of the mind that the buddha discovered that has a problem and keeps the mind in this unenlightened state is anger or hatred or ill will This is where when the mind experiences something disagreeable that it doesn't like, it becomes angered, it becomes hateful, it has ill will. It may even have aversion where it pushes things away. What happens is the unenlightened mind falsely attributes the painful feelings that it's experiencing to something external, to some situation or some person. And because the mind doesn't have right view, because it's unknowing of true reality, that it's really craving desire attachment that's causing those painful feelings, that the mind is causing itself those painful feelings, because the mind doesn't understand that, it experiences this anger, this hatred, this ill will, this aversion, it falsely attributes these painful feelings to something else and it wants to push that away. So an unenlightened mind will push people in situations out of your life thinking that they're the ones who are causing you to experience these painful feelings. When in reality, the mind is causing itself to be painful. And when the mind pushes these people and situations out of your life, you erect this wall between you and them where you don't wanna have contact with them and you block them out of your life thinking that they're the reason why you're having painful feelings. But once you discover that it's actually craving desire attachment that's causing those painful feelings, then you can start transforming that through the Buddhist teachings and start getting to the real root of the problem, which is in your own mind. Because we can't go through life continuing to push people out of our life that disagree with us or things that we don't like. We can't keep pushing people out of our life because you end up very lonely. You end up with no opportunities to improve your life because the people around you, you've just pushed them out and pushed them out of your life. So the way that you transform this anger, this hatred, this ill will, this aversion, this resentment, this jealousy, the way you get it out of the mind is you get to the root of the problem which is this second poison or this second unwholesome root. And we do that with loving kindness. Loving kindness meditation is what transforms this anger, hatred, ill will into this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So what we're gonna do in our class today in meditation is train the mind through meditation to have this active goodwill, this genuine interest, and seeing ourself and see others be well. 
And by transforming the mind this way in meditation, then you don't just keep it in meditation only, you then move it to your daily life. So that while you train in meditation and you cultivate this active goodwill or this genuine interest in seeing others be well, you then practice in daily life being loving and kind and polite, friendly, respectful, kind to everybody in your life because of the natural law of gamma, of cause and effect or action and result. If we put out wholesomeness into the world, like being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, then that's what will come back to us. But if we put impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespect into the world, then that's how people are going to treat us. So by transforming our mind, the root problem, then we don't have to push people out of our life with aversion. We can then remain open and loving and kind to all beings And then opportunities to improve our life come flooding in because we have more friends, we have more colleagues, we have associates that are part of our life, we have good relationships with our family and our friends, and nothing bothers the enlightened mind because the enlightened mind isn't going to be shaken up if someone else is disrespectful to you or if somebody else is unfriendly or unkind. The enlightened mind isn't going to be shaken up by that. The enlightened mind is going to see it for what it is, which is just that person's lack of wisdom, lack of moral conduct, and lack of mental discipline. So by you improving your wisdom, your moral conduct, and your mental discipline, you'll be able to see more clearly in the world why all these things are happening and what's happening in your own mind. So then you can practice in such a way to not cause harm to others. Because if you cause harm to others, then that harm is going to come back to you. This is some of the primary things that are part of the Buddhist teachings. So just to kind of round out what I'm talking about, and then I'll come back to loving kindness, is this third poison or this third unwholesome root that the Buddha talked about is ignorance or unknowing of true reality. This is also referred to as confusion or delusion. This is where the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. The unenlightened mind doesn't realize that it's causing its own discontent feelings. The unenlightened mind thinks that it's other people in other situations that are causing you to be angry. And the unenlightened mind will oftentimes blame other people in other situations for causing your own anger, when in reality you're actually causing it yourself. The beauty in this is that because you're causing all the anger and all the discontentedness in your own mind, you can eliminate it. That's why you can attain enlightenment, this peaceful, calm, serene, content mind with joy, because it's your own mind that's producing all of these unwholesome aspects and all these unwholesome results. By you training your own mind, you can actually get to a point where you've trained it so well that it's no longer affected by things that are going on externally. But that requires us to transform this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality, this confusion, this delusion. And the antidote or the wholesome root to transform that is wisdom. Wisdom is what transforms that. So while craving is transformed by breathing mindfulness meditation, by practicing generosity to let things go, 
and anger is transformed by loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life to eradicate and eliminate ignorance or unknowing of true reality we learn and we reflect and we practice the teachings of the buddha by learning and reflecting and practicing you're not believing his teachings you should never believe anything in his teachings but instead when you learn it you reflect on it see is it true and then you practice it to be able to see the truth for yourself and once you see the truth then you have wisdom to know that it's true with a hundred percent certainty so that's what today is all about is on sundays we cover one chapter per week in this book developing a life practice the path that leads to enlightenment and this sunday we're on chapter 20 and we're going to be restarting this program in about another four weeks but on wednesdays what we do is we do breathing mindfulness meditation one wednesday and loving kindness meditation the next wednesday this is where we come together as a group to encourage and support and motivate each other in our meditation practice because it's an independent journey on this path to enlightenment and each individual practitioner has to do their own work but each week on wednesdays we come together as a way to support each other encourage each other and motivate each other in our practice together of doing either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation together and then at the end of our meditation session i open things up for questions because anything that you've been reading in the books that i share in the videos and the podcast and the facebook group anything that you're contemplating in terms of the buddhist teachings that you need help with will open things up at the end of our meditation to allow you guys to ask any questions that you like we do that on wednesdays and we also do it on sunday as well you can ask questions along the way and then during the week, if you have questions, you can post into the Facebook group, you can send a private message to me, or you can schedule some personal guidance to do that either online if you're somewhere else in the world, or if you're here in Chiang Mai, we can meet privately and talk about your practice and what it is that you need to learn and develop to further your progress on this path to enlightenment. So thank you all for choosing to learn and practice the Buddhist teachings because as you do, this is going to improve your life, the life of the people close to you and all of humanity as you start to more deeply train the mind to not cause harm, but only to do good things in the world and only do wholesome things in the world. So thank you all for choosing to learn and practice these teachings. The way that I do loving kindness meditation is I start out with some guidance to help you get into breathing mindfulness meditation first. We do that for about five or 10 minutes or so. And then after we do breathing mindfulness meditation, then I will start providing guidance on loving kindness meditation. After that, then we'll do a little bit more breathing mindfulness meditation and then end our session and open things up for questions. So once we get going with meditation, you'll hear me give you some brief guidance on breathing mindfulness meditation, and then I'll be quiet for a while just to let you do the work. So you don't have to hear my voice the whole time through your meditation and you don't hold on to my voice, but instead I just do a little bit of guidance to kind of ease you into meditation and then let you do the work. Then I'll come back with the guidance on loving kindness meditation. 
what we'll do is we have four statements, four affirmations that we repeat in the mind. I will do it out loud to remind you of what those affirmations are, but you just do it quietly in the mind. We start with, may I be peaceful? And we do that on the out breath. Then when we breathe in, the next breath is, may I be safe? And then the next one, may I be well? And then the next one, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. We always start with I because you need to have that genuine interest in seeing your own self be well and be peaceful before you can cultivate in th that in your mind for other people. Once we go through those four affirmations for I, then we will expand this ring a little bit further. And I'll say, may we be peaceful, meaning all of us who are meditating together. You are cultivating in your own mind this genuine interest in seeing all of us that are meditating together as being peaceful, be safe, be well, and be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Then we'll expand to the next ring. And I usually don't know what that is until we actually get to it. But essentially, we create these rings, about four, five, six, eight of them, and eventually getting to all beings, where we've cultivated in our own mind this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. This isn't a prayer. We're not sending a prayer and wishing that other people will be peaceful to us. That's not what this is. What this is, is this is you transforming your own mind so that when you're around others, you are more peaceful, you are more kind, and you are practicing loving kindness. Because by you transforming your mind, then whatever you're putting out, that's what will come back to you. You can't control and you can't change other people through your meditation. All you can do is change your own mind. So that's what we're working on in meditation is to transform your own mind. And by doing that, then that's where you see the real results because you're transforming this anger, hatred, ill will in all the lesser versions like frustration, resentment, annoyance, all of these other lesser versions of that. You're transforming that to a genuine interest in seeing others be well and be peaceful, loving kindness. Loving kindness meditation is all for you. This isn't for other people. So as you're doing this, you cultivate this in meditation, but then in your daily life, when you go out into the world, you practice. When you're in conversations with people, when you're walking down the street, somebody drops something, oh, maybe you decide to pick it up. Anything when you're interacting in the world, you treat other beings with loving kindness. So the meditation itself is to cultivate that and then you practice it in daily life. Here in class, I kind of create a generic meditation with these rings that kind of apply to all of us. But your practice, when you do this on your own, you should create rings that are specific for you because there's probably people in your life that you have anger towards or resentment or jealousy or frustration or annoyance towards. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your life partner. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker. 
Maybe it's somebody who cut you off in traffic today and you're just holding on to this anger. So what you do in your practice is you customize these rings based on the people and the groups of people that you need to eliminate anger, hatred, and ill will and all those lesser versions for. So you customize your meditation for your unique situation because you need to address if you've got a friend or a sibling or somebody in your life that you're holding resentment or anger towards, it's only hurting you. So you need to release that. And the way to release it is by doing breathing mindfulness meditation, by doing loving kindness meditation, and learning all the other steps on the Eightfold Path as part of the Buddhist path to enlightenment. So today is all about practicing loving kindness meditation. So let's go ahead and start meditation then. I'd like to invite you to pull up a cushion or take a chair, take a seat in a chair if you're sitting in a chair in front of your computer or your electronic device. This practice is not about everybody being in exactly the same position. The body needs to be comfortable, but not luxurious. So at any time, if you feel pain during meditation, just adjust your body position so that there's no pain. So if you're sitting on the floor, you might put some cushions under your rear to prop up the rear, lessen the angle at your hips, knees, and ankles. If you're in a chair, you might just put your feet flat on the floor or cross your legs at your ankles. Essentially, the lower body should be comfortable, but not luxurious, and also not painful. It should be in the middle. Not painful, not luxurious, but comfortable. The hands and arms are the same way. They should just be relaxed in your lap. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together and then put that in his lap. But you could also just put your palms on your thighs or your knees. If you're in a chair, you might just put your arms on the armrest. Essentially, your hands and arms shouldn't even matter. They should just be completely relaxed, just like your lower body. But your upper body, that needs to be erect. By keeping your muscles engaged around the spine, that keeps the mind attentive and alert during your meditation. Because meditation isn't about just zoning out and completely relaxing. You can do that when you're sleeping. What meditation is, is it's an active, dedicated, purposeful training session where we're actively training the mind to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate wholesome qualities. So here, we're gonna be doing some work to eliminate craving desire attachment as part of breathing mindfulness meditation and cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind. During the loving kindness meditation, we're gonna be actively eliminating anger, hatred, and ill will while we're cultivating loving kindness or this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. So this is work. It's active, dedicated, purposeful training session with the mind. So by keeping the spine erect, like the Buddha taught, this keeps the mind attentive and alert during your meditation. So make your lower body comfortable, your hands and arms comfortable, your upper body should be erect, and then just close the eyes Start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Take some nice natural breaths. Breathing in 
in out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up to the guidance that I'm providing. You just breathe naturally. The guidance that I'm sharing is just to remind you to breathe in wherever you get to that and to breathe out. You'd like to experience the full natural breath. Nice, gradual inhale. And exhale. Breathing in. I'm going to do a chant just to ease us a little bit into meditation and then I'll be back with some more guidance to help you move deeper into breathing mindfulness meditation. Anu 
ดามาสติสัตตาตาวามานุสนังภูโตภาควาติเ
The unenlightened mind is a master at holding on to things. That's what it wants to do. It may even want to hold on to this voice, but I'm going to be quiet so that you can go internal and just focus on the breath, the present moment. Whenever the mind's not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, come back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do right now. No one needs you. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
Continue breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. On the out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. peaceful. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who are close to me be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who are acquaintances be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those whom I don't know be peaceful. safe. peaceful. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. safe. Be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
Continue to breathe in through the nose. And out through the nose. Focus the mind on the breath. Whenever you notice the mind is not on the breath, cut that off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. Breathing in.
As you make your way out of meditation, I would like to just share with you that the Buddha said that breathing mindfulness meditation is the absolute best way to produce wholesome gamma in your life by training your mind and producing the results of breathing mindfulness meditation. That's the absolute best thing you could ever do for yourself those close to you and all of humanity. And second to that is loving kindness meditation. That's the second highest quality of wholesome karma that you can actually produce in this life. So for however long you just meditated, you did both breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, which is the absolute best thing you could do for this life. It's producing wholesome results. Essentially, what 
gamma is, is cause and effect or action result. It's the result of your decisions. So as we decide to do wholesome things, wholesome results come from that. If we do unwholesome things, then there's going to be unwholesome results because of that. So here today, you've done both of the two highest quality things the Buddha says that you could actually do, which is breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And then what you do is you carry the benefits of this with you throughout your day. And you practice the entire Eightfold Path throughout your day. The meditation is that consistent, ongoing, dedicated, diligent practice that you do on an ongoing basis. But then there's all these other aspects of the teachings that you practice on an ongoing basis in order to gradually, slowly train the mind to move to this enlightened mental state. So what I'd like to do is just open up to any questions that you guys have about meditation or the Eightfold Path, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, or anything along this path that you've seen in the resources that I share, or any other aspects of the Path to Enlightenment that you're looking to seek guidance or understanding on, you can just ask your question by putting that into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand electronically, and the moderators will call on you to allow you to go ahead and ask your question or your follow-up question. So I'll just turn the class over to you guys for any questions that you might have. Hey, uh, seems that Allah has a question, so let's go to him. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. David, for the actually available uh, class. I'm new here. My question is, I believe that meditation is actually very great practice and the greatest actually practice I experienced in my life. And my question is how to keep meditating every day without like miss. Um, I'm new here, so I, I, I tried to meditate for a week and I, I, I felt the changes and the impact of meditation. But, you know, as the daily busy, you get busy with things on the daily practice will, will, will let you forget that. And then again, you will go back to the old habit. So how you keep meditating like every day and keep it like your routine? Thank you very much. Sure, let me help you with that. So there's a few things to talk about here. The ideal would be for someone to meditate two to three times per day for 30 minutes or more per session. The Buddha meditated three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. This is what he did throughout his life as a roaming, homeless aesthetic, someone who basically dedicated his life for 45 years to sharing these teachings. He had the ability to dedicate three times a day to his meditation practice. And that would be ideal. That's what you see the most benefits with. But in this household life, living as a household practitioner who has a family, maybe children, maybe a job, other responsibilities in your life, you're probably not going to be able to meditate three times a day, 30 minutes or more right out of the gate because you haven't 
created that space in your life yet. You're just getting into these teachings and on this path. So what you do is you try to gradually build up to a, a practice that would be two to three times per day. So what I like to do is I like to meditate in the morning as soon as I wake up and meditate in the evening before I go to bed. Those are my two anchor points. Those are the two that I look to maintain the most. And when I first started meditating, I mean, it was probably two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes per session. That's all I could do. But then as you start seeing the benefits and you start seeing the results, you start expanding that a little bit more, a little bit more in terms of the amount of time that you meditate each session. And then it also becomes easier each session as well. When you grew up as a child, your parents had to constantly remind you to brush your teeth. And that went on for years before you could remember to do it for yourself. They had to constantly remind you to take a shower or take a bath. That went on for years before you could remember to do it yourself. Eventually, you got to the point where you saw that when you didn't brush your teeth, you didn't like the taste that was in your mouth. Or when you didn't take a shower, you didn't like the way you smelled and the way you felt. You just didn't like it. And then you had the motivation and encouragement to do it yourself because you saw it as being in your best interest because you just felt better when you brushed your teeth and take a shower. Meditation's the same way. You have to just stick with it. You have to build up your practice. You have to see the results in the mind. And then eventually you get to the point where you see such results that as you slip up here and there and you miss meditation, you're going to notice that your mind is not as calm, your mind is not as peaceful, and your day doesn't go as well when you don't meditate. And just like you probably wouldn't leave the house without taking a shower or brushing your teeth, you'll get to the point where you can't even envision going a day without meditating. So with all of that said, let's also talk about impermanence. So the idea is in the goal, the objective, is two to three meditation sessions a day, 30 minutes or more, and you need to build up to that. But there's this universal truth of impermanence. There's really nothing that is steady, constant, or fixed other than enlightenment and the natural laws of existence themselves, the Buddhist teachings. So even though you might make a plan that you would like to meditate two times a day, for example, morning and evening, like I'm sharing, you're going to miss that sometimes. It's not possible for you to permanently meditate two times a day for the rest of your life. It's just impossible because the body's going to get sick. You're going to get sore. Maybe like two years ago, I had a motorbike accident. I had cracked a rib. I couldn't meditate for about a week and a half, two weeks as I was recovering from that. So there's going to be times in your life where you'll either forget or it just won't be possible. So what you do is you set a goal, you set an objective, and you work towards getting to two to three times a day, and you accumulate the benefits of this practice of meditation. One of the ways that I think about meditation is I think about it like a bucket. The mind is very thirsty. It needs this meditation. And there's this bucket that you need to fill water up in order to feed the mind. So you come over to the water and you scoop. And if you can scoop for five minutes or 10 minutes, and that's what you can do in that one session, then great. 
you're filling up the bucket with water. If you can scoop again for 15, 20, 30 minutes in the evening, great, then you scooped water. So your benefits of meditation are actually accumulating over the course of your practice. And what you would like to do is get to a point where you're meditating at least two or three times a day and you're accumulating the benefits along the way. And by you setting your goal and your objective to do this, you just work at it and you work at it and you work at it. And there's going to be situations where you're going to miss a session here or there. And rather than just completely giving up, then you just continue to stay dedicated to building up your practice. What sometimes happens is people will set a goal for themselves to do meditation regularly. And then when they don't do it, they will feel guilty or they'll feel shameful. And then they stop doing it for one day. And then that turns into two or three or four. And then you become complacent in your practice. But rather than do that, wherever you notice that perhaps you missed a day of meditation, oh, I forgot. Shoot, I got to I got to fix that. So then each day after that, you just work to create the ability for you to create space in your life to actually do your meditation. So don't fall off and feel guilty and shameful if you didn't get to your meditation, but just notice it as impermanence that while you set this goal and objective, you're not going to be able to permanently meet this goal and objective. If the mind is craving, desiring, longing, wanting, expecting, having the strong eagerness to do meditation, and then you don't do it, the mind's going to be discontent. But instead, if you set it as a goal and objective and you work towards that each day, and even when you fall short of that, it's okay. Just continue to apply effort and energy to build up your practice day by day, moment by moment. But if you create those anchor points for yourself in the morning and in the evening, those tend to be two times where a household practitioner has the ability to kind of have a better prediction of your schedule and be able to set opportunities for you to meditate on those two times. So for me, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I go to the bathroom, empty out all the organs, and then right into meditation. And then in the evening, about 30 minutes or an hour before I notice that I'm going to start getting tired or sleepy, I will start my meditation. But even with that, there are certain days where I'll go to sleep late and have to wake up late and I can't meditate right away first thing in the morning. I may have an appointment with a student and then after I have my appointment, I might actually meditate after that. So even though I have this goal, this objective to meditate first thing in the morning and last thing at night, I wake up, go to the bathroom and meditate right away. There are certain days where I don't do that and I can't because of impermanence. It's not possible for me to permanently meditate first thing in the morning every single day. But 99% of the time, that's what I'm doing. And I had to build up to that. It didn't just happen at the snap of a finger. I had to gradually build up to that. Well, uh, throughout the teachings of the Buddha, uh, in some of them, he was referring to a uh, doing effort to understand that impermanent uh, discontentedness, uh, the cause of discontentedness, elimination, and the way or the path. So, uh, knowing that uh, the two kinds of meditation and generosity both address uh, 
the root or the cause, the main cause of this this. So, can we say that practicing meditation is applying to the Buddha's guidance of doing effort, effort to understand a, uh, the cause or the elimination of this contentedness? These are separate things, Basim. What you're seeing when you read the Buddhist teachings, and he's constantly referring to applying effort to understand discontentedness, the cause, the elimination, and the path forward. He's constantly pointing to the Four Noble Truths and looking to teach people to make sure they deeply understand the Four Noble Truths. Because through understanding the Four Noble Truths, you establish right view and you break through the ignorance and you gain the wisdom of understanding the Four Noble Truths. Once somebody understands the Four Noble Truths and establishes right view, once they have that breakthrough, all the rest of the training of the Buddhas is basically based on and contingent on the Four Noble Truths. If somebody doesn't understand the Four Noble Truths and they haven't done the work to deeply understand that, none of the other teachings really make sense whatsoever because you don't understand what you're trying to accomplish. So where you see the Buddha constantly referring to the Four Noble Truths and a lot of his teachings, that's because in order for any new practitioner to really truly gain benefit on this path, they have to have the breakthrough to understand the Four Noble Truths. They have to understand that inside and out, back and forward, and deeply practice it and see the truth of that. Once you do, then everything else just makes sense because you've had that breakthrough of understanding the Four Noble Truths. The meditation that we're doing, which is what you're talking about, the meditation that we're doing is because if you understand the Four Noble Truths, then you understand why you're doing the meditation. If you've understood the Four Noble Truths and you've established right view, then it makes sense why you're practicing generosity. It makes complete sense. If you had the breakthrough and you've established right view, it makes complete sense why you're doing loving kindness meditation and why you're practicing loving kindness on a daily basis. If you've had the breakthrough and you understand the Four Noble Truths, then right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, all make sense. Everything flows, everything comes back to right view or the Four Noble Truths. And that's why the Buddha made it his very first discourse to his first five students. This is why when he taught, whenever he would go into new settings and he would talk to brand new students or people who were thinking to be students, he always covered the Four Noble Truths. Even when he talked about some of his really advanced teachings, he always pointed back to the Four Noble Truths because that's really where the path starts. If you think about going to attain enlightenment as climbing a mountain and there's this hiking trail to get to the top of the mountain, the Four Noble Truths is like at the beginning of the trail. It's like a sign at the beginning of the trail, even just to put your first step on the path to enlightenment. You need to deeply, thoroughly understand and practice the Four Noble Truths. And in doing so, a person will have that breakthrough. They will understand the right view and everything else will completely flow from there. Yes, it's clear now. 
so uh, back to the question about the seven factors of enlightenment. Is it the right time to practice them while meditating? Seven factors of enlightenment, think of it as another tool, okay? It's another way of refining the mind and bringing the mind to the middle. So these seven factors, the first one is mindfulness. This is awareness of mind, practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, being aware of the bodily sensations, being aware of the feelings, being aware of the condition of the mind, and being aware of any mental objects. And this goes into a lot of detail. When you learn the four foundations of mindfulness and you fully develop mindfulness in the mind or awareness of mind, then you know what that is. And the Buddha says, practicing this factor of enlightenment is always useful. You should always be practicing mindfulness all the time, all day long. So that's in meditation and outside of meditation as well. The other six, they're broken into two different categories. There's three of those seven factors of enlightenment that are practiced whenever the mind is excited. Whenever you feel an excited condition in the mind, these three factors are used to bring the mind to the middle and calm it down and bring it to the middle. The other three are when the mind is sluggish or lazy or complacent. Whenever you're noticing that in the mind, you practice these other three factors to bring that mind into the middle. So these are a way to fine tune the mind and bring the mind to the middle when it's either excited or whenever it's sluggish. And then you bring it to the middle. And then once you are able to practice those on a consistent ongoing basis, eventually you get to the point where you are practicing all seven factors of enlightenment all the time. But what happens is as you're learning this path, as you're progressing on this path and the mind starts swinging from side to side, whenever you feel it go to excitement, you practice those three to bring it into the middle. And when you notice the mind go to sluggishness or complacency, you practice those three to bring it to the middle. But eventually, the mind resides in the middle all the time. It's just always, 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 always in the middle, residing there permanently, and you'll be practicing all seven factors of enlightenment. So the first one is mindfulness. From there, the next one is investigation, where you investigate the teachings of the Buddha. Then it's energy, having a willingness to do something having the energy to do something. And then the third one is joy, practicing joy, but not based on any particular object, just being joyful, just to be joyful. So these three are what you do when the mind is sluggish or complacent to kind of pick the mind up and bring it to the middle. You investigate the teachings, you practice the enlightenment factor of energy, a willingness to do something, be active, enthusiastic and you practice the enlightenment factor of joy so whenever you notice that um don't really feel like doing anything i'm kind of sluggish kind of lazy just kind of bored kind of laying around the house not really interested to do anything for many hours or many days or whatever wherever you notice the mind slip into that sluggish complacent condition you practice these three to pick it up and bring the mind to the middle 
Then when the mind is excited, elated, euphoric, and you're noticing the mind moving up into that excited condition, then you practice the other three. The other three are tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So tranquility is like calmness of mind, peacefulness. Concentration is the singleness of mind or focus, right? Concentration is like alertness, attentiveness, right? Singleness of mind. And then equanimity is like evenness of temper and calmness. So that's what brings the mind out of that excited condition over to the middle. Like I mentioned, eventually when you get really good at refining the mind like this and bringing it into the middle, the mind won't swing as far to either side and it will reside permanently in the middle and you'll just be practicing these all the time. And if you notice, there's some overlaps here. So when we talk about mindfulness, when we talk about concentration, and we talk about equanimity, those three show up at other parts of the path because there's right mindfulness, there's right concentration, and then equanimity is part of the Brahma Viharas. So this is where the Buddha has the overall path, but then there's these different groupings of teachings, depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. With the Eightfold Path, that's the entire path. But then there's these other teachings that are grouped in different ways, based on the tool that the Buddha is giving you. So if you think about enlightenment, that you're creating this sculpture, you're creating this sculpture with the mind, and you use these different tools, maybe you use a chainsaw, maybe you use an axe, maybe you use a hatchet, maybe you use a fine tooth brush to brush off the wood, maybe you use like an exacto knife, a really fine blade. Depending on what you're doing, in your practice, depending on what you need to do to create this beautiful sculpture, you're going to grab the tool that you need at that particular time. So, for example, if you're going about your day, you're walking down the street, and you notice that you're judging somebody that's walking down the street next to you, and you're feeling this hatred and anger come up in the mind, with your mindfulness, you're aware of that hatred and anger. Well, right away, you bring in loving kindness, and you're like, let that go right? You let go of that thought, you let go of that unwholesomeness of judging another person, of thinking hateful, and you arise the loving kindness. And that's what you needed in that particular instance, because you observed the mind being judgmental and being hateful. In another situation, you're going about your day, you're an hour into it, three hours into it, you get some really good news, you notice the mind becomes really excited about this news. You're aware of it. You have mindfulness that your mind has gone into this excited state. And now, if you know the Buddhist teachings really well, then you practice those three factors of enlightenment to calm it down and bring it into the middle, which is tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And now you fix that problem. The mind's back in the middle an hour, two hours, five hours down the road, something else transpires, you're noticing that the mind becomes sad, right? It's becoming sad, you're feeling painful feelings, and you know it's because of craving, desire, attachment. You look inside, what's the craving, desire, attachment that's causing this sadness? Okay, cut that off, let it go, 
bring the mind back to the middle. So each of the tools that the Buddha teaches, whether it's the four foundations of mindfulness, the seven factors of enlightenment, the 10 fetters, the five hindrances, the five precepts, the four noble truths, you know, we can just go on and on and on and on and on. There's an exact reason of why you use each individual one of these tools. It's like creating this sculpture. And as you're creating the sculpture and you're trying to refine the mind and bring it to the middle, you employ whatever tool that you need at that given time. What you're doing in these classes, what you're doing in reading the book and everything else, is you're learning all the tools. You're learning all the tools and getting proficient at them. You're reflecting on it, thinking about how they work, getting help, seeking guidance from your teacher. Then you practice it in daily life and see how it works to improve the quality of the mind. And when you practice using these tools, then you see the condition of the mind getting better and better. So it's the same thing if you were learning a new skill. I don't know if you know what a blacksmith is or a welder or something or an electrician or something like this. They don't just go out and do work. They have to slowly learn each tool of the trade. And then over time, 5, 10, 15 years, they become more and more proficient at their trade. Same thing with like a computer engineer or an IT professional or like you, like an English teacher. When you started out, there was many things you had to learn to get more and more proficient at your occupation, at your livelihood. And the more that you learned all the various tools, you became more proficient at your job of teaching English. The same thing. You've got this full-time job of training the mind and creating this perfect sculpture of the enlightened mind. And what you're doing is you're learning all these various tools that the Buddha taught, and then you employ them at different times. This is why it's a gradual practice and why you can't attain enlightenment in three months or six months or even one year. You know, the Buddha himself took six years because you have to become very proficient at all these tools. It's going to take many years to become more and more proficient. And that's why the practice is so important. And this is where someone needs to have dedication. They need to have determination and they need to have diligence. Because if you go into this thinking that it's a six month thing or a one year thing or a two year thing and you're going to be enlightened, well, you can't learn all the tools and apply all the tools and become proficient at it in that short of a time frame. So you think about how long it took you to become an English teacher and really get proficient at your job. It probably took you three, five, eight years to really get proficient at that job. And the same thing with attaining enlightenment. It's a full-time job. It takes more than a year or two or three to get really proficient at it. And as you do and you gain clarity of mind and you see how all of these tools work together, then you know when to apply them at the given time. And then as you apply these tools and you see it work to improve the condition of the mind, that's when you have the truth and you see the wisdom and you get more and more results. And then it just becomes effortless that you're just practicing all these teachings all the time where the first few years it's quite challenging and sometimes cumbersome to get into the habit of practicing, get into the habit of learning on a regular basis. And as you build this up, it just becomes easier and easier 
where it's effortless and your mind's just always functioning through these teachings? Well, so uh, the Buddha described humanists as beneficial always. Uh, I think that everyone who is interested to figure out this will see how beneficial it is. But uh, the question is, mindfulness involves applying some energy or being active. So uh, do you think one can go to sleep while uh, practicing mindfulness? The mind is active. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. And even when you're laying down on the bed, if that's how you choose to sleep, you need to have mindfulness because thoughts can come and invade the mind in that period of time where you lay the head on the on the pillow thoughts can come in and invade the mind and attack the mind so even when you're lying you need to have awareness of mind but then if you're attentive to that and you train the mind really well you get to the point where thoughts don't invade the mind as you're falling asleep this is why people have trouble sleeping because they haven't trained their mind they're involved in a lot of different unwholesome things in their life and then when they lay their head down on their pillow at night all these thoughts bombard them and invade their mind and it's hard for them to sleep and they have insomnia but if you've done the work during your day and you've trained your mind and, and you've maintained your practice throughout your day when you put the head on the pillow it's like being a baby again and you you just fall asleep you know almost instantaneously but you're not going to get that right off the bat. So as you're developing your mind and you're training your mind to get to that point, you do need to practice mindfulness while you're lying. Because if any thoughts come to invade the mind, you have to just focus on the breath. So while you have your dedicated, purposeful, active meditation sessions two to three times a day, and that's what you do to actively train the mind, if you're doing that, while you're laying on the bed preparing for sleep, if you're noticing that thoughts are coming to invade the mind, you can just focus on the breath prior to sleep. It's not a dedicated purposeful training session because your goal is to go to sleep. You have your purposeful dedicated training sessions outside of that. But if you're doing that regularly and you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation regularly, when you get to the point of sleep, you can actually use that where now that your mind's been trained to focus on the breath, you notice thoughts are starting to invade the mind and inhibiting sleep. You can keep your eyes closed, lay on your side or however you lay, and you can focus on the breath, cut off the thoughts, come back to the breath, focus on the breath. Wherever you notice the mind's off the breath, cut it off and let it go. And you'll notice that you'll be able to more easily fall asleep. And then your mind will get more and more used to this, that it will then get in the habit of falling asleep regularly, more easily. But be sure you have meditation outside of that, that is your purposeful, dedicated, active training sessions. But once you gain that benefit of that training, you can kind of reap the rewards of that through your daily life, but also when you're preparing to fall asleep. But you still need to maintain your mindfulness because Thoughts can come and invade you at that time of lying on the bed or sitting at a bus stop or sitting in, a, in the back of a taxi or 
driving a motorbike or sitting on a train or being in a meeting with your boss or your coworkers or at every moment. That's why the Buddha says mindfulness is always useful. You have to always be aware of the mind because wherever you notice unwholesome thoughts arise, you got to catch it. The quicker you catch it and cut it off, it won't pollute the mind and impact the condition of the mind. So if you're kind of lackadaisical and complacent and you allow the unwholesome thoughts to invade the mind and then there's this elongated time where those unwholesome thoughts are permeating in the mind, it's much harder to get rid of them at that point. Whereas if you can catch it when it's just bodily sensations, you can cut it off quicker and it won't invade the mind. So the sooner and sooner and sooner that you're aware of those unwholesome thoughts coming into the mind, you can get rid of them easier and easier. And then likewise, if when you're trying to cultivate wholesome qualities in the mind, you need to have that mindfulness and awareness so that if you're walking down the street, you see somebody drop their wallet on the street and you're like, ah, they dropped their wallet. Well, that's too bad for them. I'm too busy. I'm just going to keep walking. And you just don't pay attention to it. Then you're not cultivating the wholesome quality of generosity of using 30 seconds of your time to bend over, pick it up and be sure it gets back to the rightful owner. So if you can be aware of that little inclination of the wholesome thought that's trying to kind of make its way in to the mind, when you're aware of that with mindfulness, you can support it, you can encourage it, you can allow it to grow and blossom in the mind rather than just kind of being complacent and not allowing the mind to cultivate these wholesome qualities. So by being attentive and alert and practicing that awareness of mind, then you can always be eliminating unwholesome qualities and you can be cultivating the wholesome qualities. This is a lot of work. This takes effort. That's why it's called right effort on the Eightfold Path. The effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. But once you do this long enough and you've done it and you've applied the effort and you meet the struggles and you meet the difficulties, eventually it just becomes first nature. But for however many months or years, as you get the mind closer and closer to the middle and to enlightenment, it's a real struggle for a while to kind of force the mind to eliminate unwholesomeness and arise wholesome because the mind is so used to being unwholesome. It's used to judging other people. It's used to hating other people. It's used to being frustrated. It's used to being jealous. It's used to being resentful. It's used to pushing people away. This is what it's been used to. This is what it's been doing its whole life and all these prior lives. The mind doesn't like change. So it doesn't want to get rid of all this unwholesomeness. It wants to be arrogant. It wants to be prideful, right? That's what the mind's been doing for countless eons, for countless years. So it takes a lot of effort to get rid of these unwholesome qualities and arise these wholesome qualities. But once you get those wholesome qualities permeating in the mind really, really well on a consistent, ongoing basis, then what you notice is it's actually so much easier to maintain the wholesome qualities in the mind than drag around all those unwholesome qualities. All those unwholesome qualities is a real burden to carry around. This is why for some of us in the unenlightened state, you get to the end of your day and you're just exhausted. 
you're just utterly tired and wiped out because it's such a burden to carry around all that unwholesomeness in the mind. Once you eliminate all that pollution and you arise these wholesome qualities, that's why the mind becomes tranquil. It becomes light. That's why we call it enlightenment because the mind and the body becomes very tranquil and very light because it's actually easier to practice being wholesome once you get the mind there. But it's a lot of work to get it up there and to maintain that on a consistent, ongoing basis. So once you kind of meet the struggle and you work through that, once you get closer and closer to that goal, it just becomes effortless and and so easy to be practicing these wholesome qualities all the time. Because it's so much easier to be nice to people than it is to be angry and frustrated towards them and hateful. It's a lot of work to carry around hatefulness, right? So as you practice these good wholesome qualities more and more, you'll actually see that it's so much easier to be a polite, kind, friendly, and respectful person. And it has so much better results in your life. Yes, uh, this is a really helpful teacher. It uh, seems that uh, these are all the questions that we have for today. So really thank you for your time and guidance. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, good questions. So on Sunday, we're going to be in Chapter 20. And this is where we'll be talking about the past. We're going to be talking about past lives. So if you've been interested in the cycle of rebirth and understanding the past, that's what we're going to be talking about. If you remember from the beginning of this program, I talked about how we're going to set the whole cycle of rebirth to the side and we're going to get to it towards the end. And that's the time that we're going to get to it is this Sunday. We're going to be talking about the evolution of the human consciousness from animal to human. And you'll start to understand why the unenlightened mind functions the way it does, because it's been conditioned over countless lifetimes to be like an animal. And it's very challenging to move it from this animalistic instincts to being truly human. And once you understand that and you kind of see those qualities of mind that are very much more animalistic, you understand where it's coming from. And then you can better understand where you need to head towards so that you no longer function like an animal, right? What we're doing through this path to enlightenment, in addition to everything else, is we're transforming this mind from these animalistic instincts to being human, where we function as an enlightened human being. So we'll be talking about that on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation together. So appreciate you guys joining. Have a lovely rest of your day. Continue with your meditation practice, both breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. I'll see you in a future class. Take care. Sabadija. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. 
A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.